Welcome to the second Western North Carolina Wrestling Podcast, where our goal is to promote wrestling and tell our stories. I'm your host, Bob Jackson. That intro was the Olympic theme as we're gearing up for the 2020 Summer Olympics in Tokyo, Japan. Here are some dates to make sure you mark on your calendar. The Senior Nationals and U.S. Olympic Trials Qualifier is December 20th through 22nd in Texas. Our U.S. Olympic Team Trials will be April 4th and 5th in State College, Pennsylvania, and August 2nd through 9th is when the action takes the mat in Japan. We will continue to talk about the upcoming Olympic Games throughout the season, but today here are three Olympic wrestling facts from long, long ago. Number one, wrestling became an Olympic event in 708 BC as the final event of the Patathlon. Number two, All the wrestlers that competed in the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis were from the United States. Hence, we won all seven gold, all seven silver, and all seven bronze medals that tournament. And number three, the world's all-time longest wrestling match lasted 11 hours and 40 minutes at the 1912 Stockholm Olympic Games. This episode includes interviews with Zach Warfield and Milt Sherman along with our overtime segment of Dual Meets vs. Tournaments. Here is North Carolina State Qualifier, youth coach, and now NC referee, Zach Warfield. Welcome, Zach. Let's get to it. Tell me how, why, and when you got involved in wrestling. Well, as most people in my area, I was not aware of the sport until middle school. I tried out for basketball when I was in seventh grade, and up until that point, I had never really done any sports. I did martial arts and gymnastics and that was it. So I wasn't uh, familiar with the sports scene as far as a participant. Didn't really consider myself to be good at anything at that point. But got cut and went out for a wrestling squad that was undersized. We never won a match. And so it was it was a good experience, but I went out for basketball again in eighth grade, got cut again. And my eighth grade year is when I really fell in love with wrestling. Um, we had a decent team. We were we only lost two matches. And from then, I just continued to participate and decided that was what I wanted to do. Um, Zach, you're now a North Carolina referee uh, for wrestling. What season are you going into as a referee? I believe this is going to be my seventh season as a referee. I'm pretty sure 2012 was my first season. Well, the season's going to be starting here um, shortly, so I'm very interested. Are there any rule changes or points of emphasis for this season? There are a few, actually. Um, Now that I'm thinking about it, there was one major rule change we covered, and that is the separation of stalling and other penalties. So, for example, cautions, for example. If you're familiar with sport, you know that you get a caution, two cautions, a second caution is a point, and those points accrue, but they aren't included in the penalty chart. So you can have infinite cautions. There's no disqualification. Used to be stalling, technical violations, and um, you know unnecessary roughness, things of that nature were all in the penalty chart in the same point accrual. Now stalling is a separate entity. So you can have First stalling, second stalling, and then when you get a technical violation, it's not your third penalty, that's your first penalty. Um, The other point of emphasis also goes back to stalling, where the out-of-bounds is quickly becoming no-man's land, where they essentially want stalling to be called 
if any wrestler is going out of bounds. And obviously it's going to be the judgment of the referee to determine whether the offensive wrestler is pushing his opponent out or whether the defensive wrestler is avoiding wrestling. But at, at any time that occurs at the edge of the mat, somebody is going to be hit for stalling. Um, so, Zach, you, seventh year as an official, um, what are the best parts and maybe the most challenging parts of being a referee? The best parts for me is that I get to maintain my involvement in the sport. And it's cool as a referee, I get to see so many coaches, not just from our area, although primarily, but from other areas as well, um, get to meet them get to witness the the differences in styles as far as how they coach their athletes you know one program may be predominantly using a particular uh, set of moves where another program it does something completely different so that's that's always really fun but being involved with the sport meeting the athletes and the coaches that is the most rewarding and enjoyable thing for me the most challenging thing at this point has been uh, juggling personal life and this participation because I do have other responsibilities such as family, full-time job, I'm in school. So it's it's been tough and it's not getting any easier anytime soon, but you know, it's something you love and you, you try to do what you can to uh, maintain the balance and stay involved. Well, I'm gonna, gonna ask you, I, I did some refereeing throughout out the years. The, the biggest challenge for me was always um, when folks weren't sure what criteria was for a pin. So give us a public service announcement. Um, if I hear one more time he wasn't pinned, his shoulder was up, I think I'll go crazy. What is the criteria for a pin? The criteria for a pin is the scapula of the back. You know, in the rule book, we've got this awesome photograph that is basically, it's, it's a lot bigger than most people think. You know, the shoulder from an anatomy point is on the side of the body. It's nowhere on, I mean, of course it encompasses a little bit of the back and the side, but that, I'm wondering if the shoulder wasn't down is coming from WWF or <laughs> WWE or something because that's a common shout and point that parents want to make and usually hear from parents. But the scapula of the back, so the scapula is basically the shoulder blade um, and it's a pretty big area and it can be any point on that area. It doesn't have to be a big part. I mean, it could be just a, a centimeter of one side and then the whole other side flat and they're in criteria. And we don't need three slaps on the mats <laughs> no. or three seconds, right? Well, it, it's, it is a, it's a two second, but it's a nonverbal two second. You're not going to see any signal or any kind of communication from the official, if they're a good official, um, to know. It's when they see it, it's done. Well, I, I complained one time after getting pinned, and, and my dad, who was a wrestling coach, looked at me and he said, if you don't want to get pinned, don't go to your back. And he said, if you're on your back, the referee might might call it a pin. And from then on, I was like, all right, I'm, I just won't go to my back. Um, all right, Zach, one more question for you. Um, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from your time on the mats? Probably patience and work ethic you know as a, as a competitor I had some great coaches and mentors throughout the sport um, we got to compete against some really good athletes and I learned that you get what you put in and that it translates into the other areas of your life whether it's school whether it's family whether it's you know your work you've got to put in the work and the time 
if you want to be successful. You're, you're, nothing's going to be given to you. It's not just going to happen. You've got to make it happen, and you've got to really, really try to make it happen. And then the patience part really came from my time uh, spent coaching and a lot of it from a, an official. You, you've got to deal with irate coaches sometimes. It may be their first year. They don't know a lot about the rules. They're still learning too. Or sometimes, for example, when my I first started officiating, you might have a coach that knows exactly what he's talking about. And when you mess up, you've got to deal with that. Uh, and then parents too. So you, you can't you can't rise to their level of frustration and anger. You've got to stay calm. You've almost got to be like a, a mediator or um, kind of be able to defuse situations, whether you're wrong or right. Um, you want to you want to stay calm and collected, and that has been a really awesome lesson that also translates into the areas of my life. For example, parenting. My kids drive me nuts, and sometimes I've just got to put on my black and gray shirt and mediate. <laughs> Uh, Zach, thank you so much, and uh, we'll see you shortly on the mat. It is now my honor to have on the phone a wrestler, coach, author, and wrestling historian who had a stellar career at East Carolina University that included 101 wins along with victories over multiple NCAA champions. He coached D.H. Conley High School to 470 wins in a state title and is in multiple wrestling Hall of Fames. Here is Milt Sherman. Thank you for joining us today, Milt. So um, how, why, and when did you get involved in wrestling? Okay. At junior high, and we were in a, our school system had a junior high, and a, still in junior high, 7th, 8th, and in 8th uh, grade, we had visited wrestling. And I thought, son, that, hey, you want to go out for the with he was probably telling that to a lot of guys and it sounded like a great idea but I was from a family that never pushed me into joining anything I was not involved in any school activities at the time I hadn't even been a Cub Scout so I, I hemmed and hawed around and just didn't do it and I later regretted that I knew some some guys that were playing sport, and when wrestling ended, I went ahead and went out for the track team, so just to be part of something. And by the end of the school year, I had learned two important lessons. First, that I wasn't particularly good at track, and second, that I should have gone out for the wrestling team. So the next year, in the ninth grade, I knew I wanted to do that, and it was ninth grade, but... Uh, we were still at the junior high, no high school kids until 10th grade in, in that school system. And I went out for the wrestling team. There were 40 kids on the team and three of them in my weight class, but all three of us were rookies. I could beat the other two and I got to start, which was great. So I got to be on the sports team. I got to be part of something and uh, have pride in that. And that was fun. And I also got to actually compete. And I learned important lessons that year. Um, I was not, not an immediate success. There was a returning starter, Danny Chow, in the weight below me. And he could beat me every time, even though I was bigger. And one of the team captains, who was a returning starter, was in the weight above me. And he could thrash me 
anytime he wanted to. So I, I wasn't particularly good. I didn't catch on real quick, but it was a lot of fun. Now, we opened the regular season against our arch rival, and I was wrestling a three-year starter, and I went out and uh, got beat four to zero. Didn't even score a point. Well, the weeks went by in the regular season, and I had barely a, a winning record that first year, and we finished up with a county tournament. And at the county tournament, I won in the quarterfinals, uh, had a mild upset in the semifinals. I made the, the county finals, and I'd learned a lot that ninth grade year. I'd learned that wrestlers are tough, and you had to act tough and uh, look tough and have confidence. So before the finals started, I saw my opponent, Grant Whitley, on the other side of the gym. So I walked across the gym before the finals, walked right up to Grant, looked him in the eye with my best tough guy look, and said, I'm going to beat you tonight, Whitley. And Grant laughed at me. And then he went out and beat me eight to zero. <laughs> So I learned an important lifelong lesson in the ninth grade, that being that it doesn't matter what you say you're going to do. What matters is what you actually go out and get done. And I've never lost sight of that. Uh, Milt, um, I know you spent um, the ending part of your college career at East Carolina University. Um, you had a total of 101 college wins. You Happened to beat three NCAA champions along your collegiate year um, career. Uh, tell me a little bit about uh, your successful time on the mat during ECU. Uh, I was fortunate to be at ECU kind of during their golden age. Uh, Hall of Fame coach John Wellborn uh, was, was an excellent uh, athlete's coach. Uh, people loved to to, to work for him or wrestle for him. And um, after being on a weak small college team that dropped their team, I transferred into ECU and was on a championship team for two years, and it was uh, a wonderful change. Uh, for As a future coach, it actually showed me the difference between how two programs were run uh, with very different coaching situations. Um, so on our team, we uh, we were the best team in North Carolina, and that's not bragging. Uh, my junior year, we went up to Carolina and beat them 48-0 on their own <laughs> mat. We dominated NC State uh, both years. And at that time, the University of North Carolina for, for years had been hosting a collegiate state championship, and there were... 18 to 20 colleges in the state with wrestling, uh, Duke, Carolina State, Appalachian, ECU, a lot of the smaller schools, uh, UNCW, A&T, all had wrestling teams. And some of them were stronger than others, but everybody had somebody that could wrestle. So it was a good tournament up in Chapel Hill every year. We won that solidly my junior year. And my senior year, we, we had a great lineup and we were looking forward to competing in that tournament. And we advanced all 10 wrestlers to the championship finals. What do you want to share from your ECU days, Mill? Um, well, you mentioned 
uh, I, I actually ended up on different nights uh, winning over actually four national champions, two of them NCAA champions, and several All-Americans, and that's part of the excitement of sport. Now, I'm not saying I was better than them. Really, they were better athletes. But the excitement of wrestling or the excitement of sports is that on a given day, <laughs> if you tough it out and you have good defense, uh, you can you can be the underdog and, and still win. So that's the excitement. Uh, in sports, you think you, you know who's going to win, but uh, you have to go out there and, and go at it on the whistle to actually find out who's going to be tops that night. Well, Mel, can you take us on a little journey over your 50 years of wrestling in North Carolina? Okay, I'm going to hit on on three things that come to mind. Uh, school integration, the change in competition uh, that was allowed by the High School Athletic Association, and the change in our, our state playoffs. Um, most people don't think about it, but we've had wrestling in North Carolina since uh, the 1930s. But it didn't really take off in most places in the entire country until after World War II. Uh, use Pitt County as an example, which was pretty typical. Uh, in 1970 in Pitt County, there were quite a, there was more than a dozen high schools, most of them small schools, and these were either white schools or black schools, you know, segregated schools. There was only one wrestling team in Pitt County, and that was Rose High, the big school, the big white school. Well, throughout the state, the school systems were being integrated in the late 60s, early 70s, and uh, to facilitate that in Pitt County, North Pitt, Aiden Grifton, Farmville Central, D.H. Connolly were all built. And about 1971, the schools were integrated. Well, these were bigger schools. D.H. Conley um, was consolidated out of five smaller, either black or white schools. Now you've got a bigger high school student body, and you needed more school activities. So uh, all of a sudden, instead of just Rose High, we had five high school wrestling teams in Pitt County. So uh, that was typical throughout the state. So there was a lot more opportunity for both black kids and white kids to participate in the sport of wrestling as we had more of these consolidated schools. Um, I know a doctor from Wilson and an athletic dir director retired from Wake County who are, are black men that have both told me that they wrestled in the high school state tournament in the late 1960s, and there were maybe two black wrestlers in the entire state tournament. So school integration made uh, it much more open for black participation, but it also increased the opportunities for white kids too, because there were a lot more wrestling teams in the state starting about that same time. Um, as a young coach, I, I got in to teaching and coaching uh, just a few years later. And at that time, if you wrestled even a tri-meet on Saturday, a tri-meet, a tournament, or a quad, you weren't allowed to even wrestle a dual meet that week. It was just 
one event a week unless you wrestle two separate dual meets. And I complained about that to the High School Athletic Association because the national rule book allowed it, but North Carolina did not. So they ended up punishing me by sticking me on the wrestling advisory committee <laughs> of the North Carolina High School Athletic Association, which I served on for about 10 years. And that's the first thing I brought up. And we did, in fact, convince them in Chapel Hill that we needed to open the schedule up uh, as the national rules book allowed for the betterment of high school wrestling. So that was an improvement. So kids started getting more matches in. And the, the third thing I'd like to mention is that there used to be, as us old timers would tell you, just one high school state tournament. There was no 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A like there is now. But there was just one state tournament. If you qualified for the state meet, whether you you were from a school with 300 students or 3,000 students, you went to the state high school tournament and took on all comers, which, uh, of course, gave you one true state champion, which was a positive, but it wasn't totally fair, particularly for the smaller schools. Uh, Over time, as we had more participation in the number of schools, it broke down to the point where we now have 1A, 2A, 3A, 4. We got four high school state tournaments and a 10-ring circus in the Greensboro Coliseum each year. Uh, That's been a big change. Uh, One change that's occurred with that is that before that change, back when it was just one state tournament, there wasn't any such thing uh, as a four-time state champion. In fact, there there were three-time state champions about once every five years because it was just harder <laughs> because uh, it was just one state tournament that you had to take on all comers and... Um, I had a three-time state champion in those early years, and it had been five years since they'd had one, and it was another five years before Mike Stokes at Tarboro won three in a row. Now that's more common than it used to be. So the the more availability of off-season wrestling, particularly in the spring, has given kids a lot more experience, and even fall wrestling now, so that uh, kids are able to to improve more and there's more availability of wrestling in in North Carolina now than there was years ago. Well, Milch, you uh, you wrote wrote a wonderful wrestling novel called Wrestling is Spoken Here. Um, It can be purchased on lulu.com. Tell me about the book and the process of writing a wrestling novel. Okay, first of all, I never liked to write all the way through school. High school, college, I I did the assignments, but I never enjoyed it. Just did what I was told. Uh, and that's basically was true throughout, throughout school. I got into grad school, and the first thing they make you take is a research course. And Dr. Martinez at ECU was trying to talk everybody into doing a master's thesis most of which were scientific uh, analyses of various things in phys ed. 
that I had no interest in. But I asked Dr. Martinez, uh, I'm interested in the history of wrestling around the world. Uh, could I do a thesis on that? And he said, well, if you do it right, yes, you could do that. So I said, well, I'll do it then. And I was uh, an assistant coach at ECU at that point. Uh, so I did research at ECU at the library, interlibrary loan. We went up to Carolina to wrestle. I went to their library, went up to Old Dominion, went to the library. I was at the NCAA championships at Iowa State, and I went over to the library. <laughs> I was doing research, and I ended up writing traditional wrestling styles, which the university liked so much, they sent it to the University of Oregon, which uh, published it on a national basis because it was considered good research. Well, that was kind of a pat on the back, but that, that was it. I put that aside. Uh, ECU actually did a, a videotape with me narrating it on, on that subject, but I went back to teaching and to coaching. As a, a member of the North Carolina Coaches Association, uh, along with thousands of others, we all got Coach Magazine each month, which is put out by Scholastic Press. And it was a technique magazine, mostly football, basketball, baseball. And, of course, you get tired of never seeing wrestling articles in there. And I decided to write the uh, editor, Herman Mason, and ask him if he'd be interested in a, doing an arm drag article. He wrote back, well, go ahead and put it together, and we'll take a look at it. So I took some photos, sequential photos, and step one, step two, and, and wrote it up and sent it up to Mr. Mason in New York. And uh, a month later, I get a copy of it back with more red marks and lines and arrows than any English paper I'd ever written, but also a handwritten note saying, uh, Coach, uh, we like your article, but you've got to write it up uh, with the same style that we publish our magazine in. Uh, if you do that, we'd like, to, we'd like to publish your article. So I rewrote it and took a couple different pictures and sent it back up there and during wrestling season, uh, they published my arm drag article, which was which was fun. And I also, I knew that it was a benefit to coaches throughout the U.S. to be able to take a look at something a little bit different. And of course, some of the North Carolina coaches noticed that too. And it became kind of a habit. I was I, I never planned to to con continue writing. Uh, something like that, but about once a year I'd come up with an article on, on cradles or something about leg rides and do, do the article, send it in, and almost inevitably they published it. Uh, I was interested in wrestling history, so I wrote an article for Amateur Wrestling News on the rules of the 1928 NCAAs, which was the first ever NCAA tournament, and they, they published that. Um, I did a couple more for them. USA uh, Wrestling USA magazine published a few things that I did, uh, including a couple of fold-out posters for them. So I ended up having uh, over two dozen articles published over time uh, by the time I retired 
as a high school teacher and coach, and I read. I read novels, histories, biographies, and of course, a lot of people wonder if they could write a book themselves. So, you know, wrestling's a fun thing. So I decided to write Wrestling Spoken Here, and of course, it's fiction, but it's just a good hokey sports story. Uh, Sports-minded people, not just wrestlers, tend to like it because they can relate to practice situations, the team bus, conversations in the cafeteria or down the hall, uh, disruptions that occurred, the, the conference tournament and playoffs and such as that. And I found that trying to do that, it was like uh, writing about 30 articles because each chapter was a little different and needed an outline and it was somewhat time-consuming and challenging, particularly for a first-time writer. But uh, it was fun, and uh, it's a, it's a fun read for sports-minded people. Awesome, uh, um, Mel. Thank you so much. Before I let you go, I have one more question for you. Um, if you could bring back one rule or one aspect or um, just anything that does not exist in wrestling today that used to assist exist in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, what would that be? I'll turn that around on you. Okay. One of my pet peeves, and that is uh, weight control paperwork <laughs> is, is so bad these days. It's just, it would almost convince a school not to start a wrestling program because there's so many requirements regarding weight control. And uh, I'm glad I don't have to do, deal with that paperwork anymore. And it's, it's a pet peeve of mine because I know that its origin was not even high school related. About 20, 25 years ago, there were actually some NCAA wrestling deaths from excessive weight loss at the last moment for, for some wrestlers. And, but that was in part due to the rules at the time. There were actually tournaments at that time in which at the NCAA level, you could, if you weighed in Friday night, you didn't have to weigh in at all on Saturday. Well, any, any wrestler can know what would happen <laughs> on Saturday if you didn't have to make weight. So, in a few cases, wrestlers lost an excessive amount of weight at the last minute so they could suck down to the weight, knowing they could bulk up. They could gain five or ten pounds before the next day for competition, which was unhealthy. There was also some athletes using supplements like creatine or other things that with dehydration combined may have been dangerous. But that was never a high school problem because we had the one-hour weigh-in. And, of course, if you have to weigh in and wrestle an hour later, there's just so much you can do or you're just going to hurt yourself. Uh, so wrestling at the high school level never had that sort of uh, serious illness or death, and yet we got stuck with all the weight regulations and paperwork, which I find irritating. My pet peeve. Um, well, Mel, I got an, I got a follow-up question for you um, about um, East Carolina University. I, I know um, 
there's a successful club happening there. Um, and wanted to give you a second that might be able to tell us here in Western North Carolina a little bit about the East Carolina University Wrestling Club. Okay, I'll back into that question. Uh, I'm a member of the ECU Athletics Hall of Fame <laughs> as a wrestler, but I was an unrecruited walk-on. Uh, I wrote the coach and told him I was coming out. I was not recruited. Uh, so for any high school kids listening to this, I would tell them, don't let anybody tell you you can't wrestle at the college level. If, it's, if you're a wrestler in your heart, you can make it happen somewhere. Uh, one opportunity would be at ECU, where we're no longer an NCAA sport, but we do have a competing college club team. And I started that program nine years ago. And our kids get to wrestle duels and tournaments up through the NCAA nationals each year. And we've even had a couple All-Americans at that level. Um, so that's obviously a non-scholarship program. But if you're an ECU student, you can compete in wrestling at the college level. And that's a wonderful opportunity. So either uh, you got a chance to wrestle or championship teams at NC State, or if you're just not of the level you're going to recruit there, uh, don't let anybody tell you you can't compete because you can walk on at different levels or including the, a club program like ECU has. Right. And, Mel, I'm going to ask you even one more question because um, I just love talking wrestling. This year, of course, is an Olympic year, um, 2020. Tokyo, Japan Olympics. Any thoughts about um, the U.S. team in the upcoming Olympics? Uh, it's an exciting thing. I, I got to attend uh, the Olympics for three sessions, and that was one of my lifetime highlights, sitting up in the stands and, and joining in the USA, USA chant, because that was the L.A. Olympics, and it was almost a total U.S. crowd. Uh, it's an exciting thing. So wrestling's a participant sport, but it's also a spectator sport, and it's certainly easy to, to root for the Americans and hope they all do well at that level. Well, Milt, thank you again for being a part of our um, podcast. Uh, we appreciate it so much. It's now time for our overtime segment featuring two old washed up wrestlers debating current topics in wrestling. Myself and Dan Ornato will debate tournaments versus duels. Dan, are you ready? Hey, Bob, I'm in favor of having tournaments. Number one is a team building experience where you bring all your team together to prepare for the tournament. Not to mention that you get a chance to wrestle more matches with more experience. You got a lot more kids who are from out of state that you might wrestle. I think all in all, tournaments are a great thing. Dan, I'm with you. I love tournaments um, when I was a wrestler. But listen, we have to go more dual-based now. Our goal has to be getting more fans in the seats, getting more um, excitement from the community. Um, we got to get alumni support. We got to get students in the seat. We got to get community members in the seats. And tournaments are just way too long. People don't have all day to, to commit to it. Two hours. Um, really hype up a rivalry match um, and get the gym packed for a dual meet.
Ah, join us next time on WNC Wrestling Podcast. Hey, Bob, great point. Keep this in mind. There is no greater glory that man can earn than that what he gains with his hands and his feet.